Welcome back to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. We have just passed through the uh, championship weekend. Uh, I, I know that many of you Bills fans like Dan and myself are probably uh, licking your wounds and, and considering football over for you. Uh, but we do know the slate of, of teams for the Super Bowl in two weeks. It's just going to be the Kansas City Chiefs blech, and the <laughs> Philadelphia Eagles, who I'll be reading, rooting for. Fly, Eagles, fly. I have officially <laughs> taken off my Buffalo Bills hat and put on for the next two weeks and one day a uh, Philadelphia Eagles hat just because I uh, am tired of that smug bastard Patrick Mahomes waving it around in front of our faces. Dan, how are you doing? Hey, man, Cancun on three. Eli Apple, I'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> that little I gotta, bastard. That there is, I got to tell you, though, I appreciate that man's confidence because I don't know that I could be as average at anything <laughs> as he is at playing football and yes. talk that kind of smack. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it, it's yeah. really something to behold this guy. <laughs> well, it's um so... Uh, Former Eagle, this is all pertinent, former Eagle and Buffalo Bill Shady McCoy, uh, LaShawn Shady McCoy was on um, I, I Am Athlete podcast or show, and he was talking about uh, Eli Apple trash-talking, and he he said that, um, you know, Eli Apple trash-talking doesn't really fit the, fit the bill because he's he's not a pro bowler, he's not, he's not, he never sniffed an all-pro, not a pro bowler, barely a guy who gets to pick his own number. He was drafted 10th. Yeah, he said, barely a guy who gets to pick his number. They throw the, the jersey at him. They're like, you look like a, you're tall. Here's a 28. It'll look good on you. Um, because That's perfect. He, yeah, so he's like, Shady McCoy had a lot to say because uh, Eli Apple certainly doesn't have the play on the field to back up his words. And he was picked in the top 10 uh, and traded away after in his second year and has been on four teams in seven years. Like that, clearly you're not great. Like that's all I'll say there. Clearly, no, you're, you're a mess. Yes. He, he's scheduled to be a free agent at the end of this year. Uh, interesting to see where he lands. There are oh several cornerback hungry teams out there that might want to take a flyer on an Eli Apple. But uh, tell you what, it won't be Buffalo or KC. That's for sure. Nope. Yeah. Nope. And, so yeah, and man. If they, and if they did sign him, he'd have like a no, like a no social media clause. <laughs> But like you're not allowed to, yeah. Like a no, no talking, no yes. talking, no talking just, in the stadium. Yeah, yeah. You are just or on the practice field. Yeah, yeah exactly. that would be great. Yeah, you are a silent, you're a silent partner in this whole thing. Yeah, man. But yeah, he is one of he uh, Eli Apple. Sadly, headlines what is a very kind of average to not exciting free agent class at a variety of positions, which is a, an exciting segue for us, JJ, because today we're talking phase one of our Buffalo Bills offseason needs, and we're going to focus solely on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you and I spoke last time, uh, God, it feels like forever ago, but we spoke uh, last pod about what the Bills maybe need to do to improve on the offense, and I think everyone has properly circled the offensive line as a need. And it's been interesting, and I, I want to get your take on this before we dive into it, because I think offensive line and wide receiver too are the number one priorities, be it free agency or draft. But I want to get your take on Brandon Bean's um, end-of-year press conference because, I, to me, Spencer Brown what featured heavily in that interview. And Bean was, I think, outright, outright going to bat for his guy. Not that you would expect Bean to throw anybody under the bus, but you can tell when Bean cares about a guy and when Bean's like, 
you know, like Devin Singletary. He was with Singletary. He was like, Devin's great. He's a great pro. We've enjoyed having him. Maybe he'll come back, you know, yeah. non-committal. He was ferocious in his defense of Spencer Brown. Talked about back injury. Talked about all this other stuff. The Buffalo Bills need to improve on the offensive line. And it feels like tackle, maybe not left tackle, even though Dawkins had maybe his worst season as a pro and is hopefully not on the decline. But I don't think that heading into this pod, I thought right tackle, really the whole right side of the offense, would be off the board. But it feels like they're ready to roll with Spencer Brown on this offensive line again next year, pending his health. Um, I mean, would you have that kind of confidence in Brown heading into this offseason? So I'm going to take the, you know, I want to take the Homer the Homer angle and just be like, oh, they must clearly know that he was playing through like some severe injury and that's why he couldn't make the corner, you know. Because, okay, I want to take that angle because I, all of last season, I was a massive Spencer Brown supporter. I thought he had lumps. He was a rookie. He didn't play his COVID year. He like just instead trained on the pro game. Um, with Was it Joe Thomas? He trained with somebody. Uh, I can't forget who. It was Joe Coast. Thomas. Okay. Yeah, it was Joe Thomas. Yeah, so like he trained to be good in the pro game and had a solid, if you know, if occasionally up and down rookie season where I think everybody kind of can agree he showed massive flashes of dominance in run blocking and improved play in pass protection, but never above average pass protection. His second year, he missed blocks that he made in his rookie year. He regressed substantially. It was obvious on tape. And so what I'm saying is my hope is that I know athletically, from athletic trait standpoint, he has everything he needs to be a, probably a Pro Bowl, if not all Pro Tackle, right? Like he's kind of a genetic freak in terms of size, length, speed, athleticism, strength. Like that is all where it needs to be. But this year he looked like he could not block anything. Like every speed rusher gave him fits. Every time he played someone with power, he was getting shoved off of his initial pass set. Like, I don't know what was going on with Spencer Brown, but my hope is, this is the Homer part of the take, my hope is that things Brandon Bean knows inside that building will bear out that an injured or off-his-game Spencer Brown was a better alternative than Questenberry or whomever else they could stick in there. Right. And... That's why they have confidence that with a full off season without a you know additional injury, and who knows, he might have another surgery. Like there's a possibility of that. Um, we'll see more as the kind of off season carries on. Um, my hope is that they expect him to take a massive step, and that's why they're not talking about it being open. Or counterpoint, non homer take, they are pumping him up for a trade. <laughs> they are pumping and dumping. A bust. <laughs> like, that's the other possibility. Selling so, someone on that athletic yeah, upside. They're going to yeah. get a five for somebody they picked in the three and move on. Like, I don't know. Can you, it's, God, can it's, you, can it's you do that after a season? Yeah. I know. But can, can you really do that after you, you just only got a five for Cody Ford who you drafted with a two, right? I, yeah, yeah. no, that, I mean, that would be, yeah. In a world that, that where, suck. That's in a world where feel, Roger yeah. Saffold can go to the Pro Bowl, we can do anything, Dan. Yeah. Anything Roger Saffold, Pro Bowl guard, free agent <laughs> on the market. Oh, my God. At, adding to his value here at the end of his, uh, his illustrious him, career. Get him while he's hot. He's only slightly more of an obstruction between you and the quarterback than nothing. <laughs> That's right. Only slightly. Empty you know, air. I, I, I thought for sure 
the Bills would the Bills would make right tackle a competition until I looked at what was out there on the free agent market and dude, there is just not a lot. Especially when you look at the Buffalo Bills cap restrictions. Again, they can restructure a bunch of guys and they can they can figure out a way to free up some money to re-sign Edmonds and then add some low cost vets. But even if they had a lot of cap room to play with, there's not a lot free agent wise out there on the market. It feels like they're going to address the offensive line heavily through the draft, um, based on what some of those post postseason comments from both Bean and McDermott sounded like. Which is quite frankly the the route they need to go. They just they need some youth. They needed yeah. an injection of youth onto that offensive line in a big way. Uh, drafting a kid who can maybe play guard until Dawkins is ready to move on at the end of his contract and can swing over to tackle. There's so many of those those multiple position type guys that the Bills love on the offensive line coming out in this particular draft. It feels like this is one that they need to address in the draft, thinking long-term down the road, not just for Dawkins' eventual decline, which hopefully we didn't start to see this season, right. You know, even though his play slipped, but also you got to start thinking about Mitch Morse, Morse's replacement as well. And this is something that I think the Bills have shockingly struggled with, is thinking one step ahead of where they're going to need to replenish the ranks in the draft. Like last year, I think, or let's go back to 2020, the back-to-back Rousseau Boogie Basham year. We knew they needed DB help, and they just they didn't draft any DBs until the six and seven round. And now, come up last year, they've got to draft Kyer Elam. They're afraid to put him in his rookie season in a place where he can be effective or he can succeed. If that pick comes in 2020, we're not talking about a rookie that that the coaches are a little bit um, lack confidence in. And needing to start opposite Trey White, you're talking about a guy with two seasons under his belt now starting opposite Trey White. That brings a little bit of youth to that. Same thing with the safety position. Last year, they could have gone for a guy like Dax Hill, potentially, in the second or third round, um, knowing that Poyer and Hyde were aging and coming up at the end of their contracts, and knowing that both of them wanted a, a big payday that you weren't going to be able to afford. They didn't do it last year when they had the ability to and the flexibility to. Now they're looking at replenishing the safety ranks either with Christian Benford, who they're looking to convert from from cornerback, or they've got to draft a rookie. And this is a team that's shown a propensity not to want to put a lot on rookies. But eventually, your reality needs to meet your cap. And the Bills do not have a cap this year where they can bring in a lot of veteran free agents. So they're going to have to draft some of these rooks, let them take their lumps, And I think that's going to be a huge focus of how they draft on the offensive side of the ball. Because I see them needing a lot of an an, uh, infusion of youth on this offensive line. And it's going to be interesting to see if they, A, pull the trigger on that. And then B, let these kids learn by playing. As opposed to a lot of the start and stop and weird rotations they've had some of these rookies in over the past couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's there's there's two things you're saying right now. One is that they need to draft for positions of need more than one year in advance, and two is that they have to change their entire approach to how they use rookies. Right? Like, and yeah. they have to they have to become more comfortable with letting the players get their lumps through rep live game reps yes. instead of holding them in reserve, giving them little peeks at live game reps. And praying and crossing their fingers that they don't make a bonehead error. Exactly. 
other teams, and we saw this with we've seen this with Andy Reid throughout his career. We've seen this with other really good coaches. Is you you're a rookie and you muff your first punt? Well, you get back out there the next punt and you better catch this one, right? Like you can work your way off of a team, but you can work your way onto a team from a mistake. McDermott has been so risk averse and so conservative with that that we didn't see Cook until the last series of his first game when he had that fumble early. And I knew we wouldn't because that's just been the M.O. We didn't see Kyrie Elam for like two weeks while he was healthy because he must have missed an assignment. Nobody could even, it was so slight that nobody even knew what he messed up. But apparently it was something, right? And so, you know, it, it starts all these issues of you questioning like, well, is the player a bust or is the coach not putting them in the position to make their way and grow and mature that, that they need to be? Um, and I think that for me... Specific, I'll start with the offensive line because you know that's my passion. Um, this is not a great de- draft for internal offensive linemen. It's an okay draft for tackles. It's an okay draft for there's a lot of question marks. Mm-hmm. So the Bills with six picks, and we know that there's there's years where people say, oh, it's it's a bad defensive end draft, and then you get two like all pro defensive ends that come out in like right. the second or third round and just like turn on right. They, they click it clicks when they get to the league sometimes. Not always, not often, but um, this is one of those deals where I'm like, you know, I, I'm playing with the um, mock draft machine on the draft network. I'm in the, the beta there for, for subscribers to try that thing out. It's really, it's saucy. It's got a lot of bells and whistles and c- complex trade mechanics, which are really fun that we're playing with right now. But every time I'm in there, I'm just like, why not just throw, why not trade out of pick 27, 28, I guess, with the forfeited Dolphins pick. Trade out of 28, go to the top of the second round, pick up an extra third and, and a fifth, you know, something like that, and boom, bam. And this is easy go to say. Him. Yeah, this is easy to say with like a, you know, a tool that you can use where the other teams don't have any emotion in the play. But um, but really, that's what it is. It's going volume. I'm saying like I'm going to pick the best safety that's at the top of the second round, and then I'm going to pick a wide receiver and then three tackles. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And this is the one time that I'm not upset if the bills go heavy at one position at several points in the draft because we know because we've seen other teams build incredible offensive lines dallas did this you know green bay some years ago earlier Mm -hmm. in aaron Rodgers career did this where they they just kept throwing darts in those middle rounds until five pieces stuck and had an incredible amount of chemistry and then they went on an offensive rampage for four or five years as those players are in their their prime yeah and it's 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 so interesting because we've got a Super Bowl of Bill's past versus Bill's future as far as roster build. You've got one team in the Philadelphia Eagles that have a QB in the waning years of a very cheap contract in Jalen Hurts, who's about to get a bag at the end of the season. So what that gave them the flexibility to do is what the Bills have done. They pulled in a lot of guys in free agency on Philadelphia. Seven of those 11 Philadelphia Eagles defensive starters, JJ, are going to be free agents at the end of the season, right? And that's where the Bills were. That's the the Bills of Christmas past. The Bills of Christmas future is where the Kansas City Chiefs are at, where you have a QB who's about to count as $39 million against the cap, and you've hit on some of your draft picks on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball, and you want to sign those guys, and you want to keep them. So when you don't have the luxury of a lot of that cap room to play with, you've got to do 
in your future, what the Chiefs are doing in their present, which is let these young kids on the offensive line, the defensive line, in that secondary, take their lumps. The Kansas City Chiefs won yesterday, yes, because Patrick Mahomes is better on one leg than 17 QBs in the league are on two legs, right? right. But they also won because of Pachenko, a rookie, Sky Moore, a rookie who had an incredible return that really set them up an ideal field position at the end of the game for the field goal. McDuffie, who had a pick in that game, and I forget the other kid. I think it's Watson. Is it Watson? Yeah. The other Jay, rookie, other Jay rookie Watson, DB. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I forget his name, but I can pull it. it right. He had to come. He had, the kid that had to come in for Sneed when Sneed went out with an injury. Right. Um, but two rookies with picks, a special team, a massive special teams game changer from a rookie. Um, Pachenko, who was stabilizing that run game, even though he couldn't get a lot going, he broke a couple that extended a couple of drives and was dynamite um, pass-catching-wise, right? But you could see, even in the broadcast, that Pachenko was struggling in pass pro. But Reed didn't yank him out immediately because he trusted Mahomes to get rid of the ball and not get hurt and make a quick decision and allowed Pachenko to stay in the game and find his groove. The Bills were what the Eagles are now. What they have to transition to is what the Chiefs are now with a high-priced QB and you're just that's just going to have to rely on some of this young drafted talent to fill in the holes on your roster because you can't play around and sign a lot of high-priced vets anymore. Just as where yeah. they're at. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's Jalen Watson. He was a seventh-round Jalen round pick. Watson, yeah. yeah. Seventh-round pick who's done well, and I think that you, know, you do see that with the Bills. I mean, Christian Benford's a good example of a player that got a start his the first game of the year he started opposite of Dane Jackson and he was a sixth round pick like there's that happens but the Bills don't stick with those guys they rotate and they do cycles and they you're up for this game you're so down for weird, that game yeah. it and I don't get that but I think you're absolutely right is the the kind of bravery to make a pick stick a guy in a spot and then live with it when he when he fails because he's going to fail there's going to be bumps like first round pick third overall will will have a bad game right like not nobody's coming out of the gates and, and hit, hitting uh you know going first team all pro immediately unless your name's you know sauce Gardner. but um so like Dude, people yeah, yeah that's that such, so such a good pick <laughs> so oh my good. god i want him on the bills so bad never gonna happen um and so yeah you they have to get to that place this this is a transition time that's why i think as bills fans this offseason is so interesting is we're all still living in this era in this place where like football still happened, the Super Bowl hasn't yet happened, and we can see the Bills being a good enough team to have made it. Their most recent effort on the field was so far below what they're capable of or what we saw at different times throughout the season that it leaves a real bad taste, but they've now entered transition mode. It is what is 2023 season going to look like? How are we going to get there? How are we going to afford it? And then how is that team going to stack up against three very excellent and competitive teams, this most recent one being considered the most competitive? Um, and I think it's a really, it's a fascinating time to be a Bills fan. I'm not yet in positivity mode, you know, like it, it's like usually March, February, March, when I flip over into like, well, now they have all the pieces to win it all. You know, like we talked right. in the off season about like, oh my gosh, Von Miller and Boogie Basham in year two and like Greg Rousseau in year two. You know, like we were just like, this is, no one's going to stop us. We're going to crush everyone before us. And it did feel that way for a couple of weeks. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. then the wheels fell off. Um, and so I think most fan bases can relate to that feeling. 
Uh, and kind of flipping back to when we were talking about two things that they need to do, they need to prepare for needs in the future instead of the the same year they're going to play games, and then they need to be willing to put their guys out there. I think the second aspect of that, be willing to put their guys out there, flavors one thing I want to talk about, which is wide receiver. Yes. Again, there is not really a free agent market that's worthwhile, and I am not in favor of signing Beasley and the reanimated corpses of Cole Beasley and John Brown to hold this <laughs> team's, you know, hold this team's favor in a game where somebody shuts down Stefan Diggs or where Gabe Davis has the drops or where they refuse stubbornly to put, you know, uh, Khalil Shakir on the field for, I have no idea why. So, you know, what, do, what are you thinking, Dan? Like what can draft pick? I think is sure. That's an easy answer there's a there's a lot of really good wide receivers in this draft i will say that in oh between. there's there's not yeah. top end talent but there's a lot of really excellent role players between two and five you know it, we talked last pod about the development of gabe davis and we we went all the way back to the emmanuel sanders signing and we didn't understand the negative impact that would have on davis's development and coming into his own is a full-time outside wide receiver too, opposite Stefan Diggs. We're now at a point where Davis is entering a contract year, and it's no longer can you develop him into it, is can he come out and hit the ground running? So it's no longer developing him in a safe way. It is, is there like a veteran free agent you can bring in to challenge him for that wide receiver two position and maybe push him? Um, but I I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of stuff about Hunter Renfro is going to be available, and he's like a young Cole Beasley, which he is. He's also like $18 million against the cap, and the Raiders are going to want a second-round pick for him. you got to ask yourself, is there anybody in this draft that you can get in the first or second round that's better than Hunter Renfro? And Hunter Renfro doesn't solve the problem of the Buffalo Bills not having another outside wide receiver opposite Stefan Diggs. So it... I don't think the Hunter there's anything to the Hunter Renfro stuff, but the fact that we're still like, how can we replace Cole Beasley? That that's not that is last year's question. This year's question is, what are we inevitably gonna do to put a, a dynamic wide receiving partner opposite of Stefan Diggs? Because when you look at the build out of the Cincinnati Bengals, who have now overtaken the Bills, is the solid number two in that conference. And when you look at what other teams are bringing to bear with like Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill in our own division, it's not like this awesome gadgety slot guy. The slot position has changed for a lot of these wide receivers. It's do you have a dominant one and two that prevent opposing DB opposing DBs from bracketing your number one guy? You know what I mean? And they can do whatever they want in the slot. But Hunter Renfro doesn't change Stefan Diggs' reality on the outside. He gives Josh Allen a nice blanket seven or eight yards in and maybe makes us a little bit more efficient on third down. But it doesn't solve the larger problem we have is that we don't have anyone that can take pressure off of digs in that pass def- in that in that passing offense. Um so I for me it's the draft. It's gotta be the draft. Like I'm I'm running through here and we've got Sammy Watkins, you know? I think the right. the bell of the ball here is probably gonna be DJ Shark. Um, coming off of a, a solid year in Detroit, but he's going to want 10, 11, maybe $14 million. You know, Julio Jones, no one's going to go with that retread. 
you know, and then you've got some some slightly younger options like a Juju Smith-Schuster who just got hurt in the AFC Championship game, so his status unknown for the Super Bowl right now. Um, you've got like a, like a Brashard Perryman. You've got a McCall um, Hardman who could be interesting as a speed guy coming out of Kansas City, but again, never really popped. And if you're not popping in a Andy Reid offense, you're going to pop in a Ken Dorsey offense. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so this is draft. So again, this is draft, and this is just the reality for the Buffalo Bills. They're probably going to patch it together with some lower end, like lower cost veteran talent. They might bring Beasley back at wide receiver. I don't think they're trading a two and taking all that cap of Hunter Renfro. So they might sign Cole Beasley again, and they might sign a couple of these lower cost vets and then hope they hit on some guys in the draft. But that's the, that's the reality of where the bills are at this point with where their cap is. There's not going to be a lot of splash moves. The core of the roster, I think, thankfully, for as negatively as we're talking about, is largely in place. They've just got to figure out what are the pieces they can add in to fill in some of the gaps that they need. So if the Bills are going to make a splash to me, JJ, it's not in free agency. It's going to be in the draft. A Jordan Addison from USC. Everyone everyone in Bills Mafia on social media is in love with Zay Flowers from BC. I think once Flowers hits the combine and people see how fast that dude is, I think he's a top 15 pick. I don't think he's going to fall to the Bills at that point. Right now, early mocks have him as a second round. I think he easily elevates into the first round. He's just he's just blazing fast. And he gets he gets up to top speed, dare I say, very Tyreek Hill-esque. So cool. that's not a dude who's going to be around for a while. Yeah. You know, but a Jordan Addison, the uh Ah, uh, the kid coming out of Ohio State. What's his name? Um, it's a hyphenated name with Smith on the end. I can't remember what his um, name is. Hmm. Let me see if I can find it. Um, I will talk, you know, as I'm trying yeah. to find Ohio State, I'll talk about one guy who's like a draft draft crush I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. That's Puka Nakua. Do you, have you I seen just love anything? The, I, I love, love the name, name too. Yeah. <laughs> I love so, the name. Puka Nakua. Bills Mafia, check this guy out. He's a. Can we uh, please draft him just so we can say his name every week? Puka Nakua. <laughs> if they if they get so he's a he's a player out of BYU. Um, oh, I know he's should, about, yeah. should be available in like the third, maybe like he'll drop or he'll maybe he'll rise to the top of the top of the third, bottom of the second. But Puka Nakua, he's got size, speed, but the thing about him is he's like the thing that he looks like is if they ended up taking you know the. Um, the machine, the Super Soldier Project, they stuck Steve Rogers in it and he came out Captain America. Hell yeah. Put diminutive Cole Beasley's body in that machine, Puka Nakua steps out after the <laughs> nice. transformation. Because he's like, he the thing he's got is he's got that like scrappy fight. He does not let anybody outcompete out him on a rope. He does not let anybody catch a ball over or around him. He fights for the ball at the point of attack, which I know is something we've complained about at times, even with Gabe Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs at times is like, why, you know, fight through the man. That is your ball. Go get it. That is the thing he's got. And he's got over the top, you know, over the top capability and speed, but also he just got that good savvy knack for where to sit in a zone. And so BYU is spreading it all over the field. That guy could be, you know, could be a game changer um, and would not need to be, uh, you know, wouldn't need to be 
picked in the first round, like Jackson Smith Najigba. Is that the guy you're looking for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ohio, that, Ohio State. that dude. Yeah, that, that dude, that dude, that dude can play. Yeah. That dude can play. And I, where the Bills are drafting 27, if, if Spencer Brown is, in fact, solidified, you've got Mitch Morse, Spencer Brown, and Dawkins. I don't think Ryan Rick Bates did enough for me to convince me that he's like locked into that starting guard job. But if you're the Bills picking at 27 and you don't trade down, there is probably not a lot of value at drafting an interior offensive lineman unless a guy like Osiris Torrance from Florida happens to be available at that spot. Um, so you could very well see the Bills going wide receiver in the first round, especially if Addison or somehow a guy like Flowers fell to them at that particular spot. Um, and then second round, uh, then getting like your dream offensive interior lineman um, that adds a little bit of youth uh, either next to Dawkins or a little bit more athleticism in the event there is lingering injury issues with Spencer Brown that that hurt hit continue to hurt his mobility. Um Saffold's the one you gotta replace, but Bates probably better in a backup role or I mean listen, Mitch Morse could be a cut candidate and Rick yeah. Bates can Ryan Rick Bates can play center. So are you in a situation where to save a little salary cap space, you cut Morse as difficult as that would be after he's had a Pro Bowl season. You cut Morse, you move Bates over, and then all of a sudden you've got youth at three of your five offensive line positions, and you're finally thinking about the future. That could that could be a possibility for the Bills as well. Um, so in the draft, I know we've blended offensive line and wide receiver together. I see first round wide receiver, depending on what they do with Mitch Morse um, yep. and what they're prioritizing on the interior. Well, and and that's the thing that I think. That's going to be the thing that makes, again, this is a transition period. That's one of the things that makes this draft and free agency so interesting is because free agency is going to happen first. If there's any large, if there's any premier talent or designated penciled in starter that they're going to sign in free agency, that'll happen before the draft. We'll know it. Like we'll know if they do get DJ Chark, it's like, okay, this is the other guy opposite. If they go, and get um, Rashad Pyramid. You know, like, this is the other guy. That the, the, that number two that we were talking about. Um, and so, that's going to set the tone. And I do see it. It's such an interesting draft class. Because even just in early... I haven't really dug into it. But it, even just early peaks. There's, like, three safeties. That are good enough to be picked one or two. And then... It's just a schmozzle of people between rounds three and six, right? Like right. there is there is two, maybe three interior O linemen worth a top three rounds pick, and then it's just like who was throwing darts at that point. Same for you know for some of the you know CBs and defensive ends and stuff like that. There's if you're not picking in the top twenty of the first round, you're really all competing for the same value or level or tier of people between late one and top of four, right? Like that's, it's kind of a, it's a hard draft to see just based on my, and rankings are kind of all over the board. I think it's easier for draft Knicks to look at skill positions, wide receiver, running back and say, okay, this is how they're stacked. Mm -hmm. But for anything with more nuance, offensive line, defensive back, it's so dependent on what kind of elements of opposition you played against an offensive tackle 
who absolutely dominated but never faced an NFL defensive end is probably going to struggle, right? Like, it's it's just, they might have never given up a single pressure, but they also never faced, you know, um, who's a good, they never faced one of the Watt brothers, right? Like, right. They, they don't know what one that of the looks Boses. like. One of the Boses, right? Like, they never came up against one of the best in, in the game to do that work. And so um, it's really tough sometimes to, to look at that. And I know that that applies to quarterbacks, wide receivers, skill positions, etc., um, but it's a little different. You can pop on film a little bit better, and if everybody looks like they're running in slow motion because you're, you know, um, one of the double A, you know, college teams, then you, it still applies. There's athletic testing to right size your ability in the league, which doesn't exist for some of the other positions. You know, if you yep. don't go to the Senior Bowl, we're never going to see you against NFL talent. Yep. Totally agree. So it sounds like you and I are, are both in agreement. The Bills, just because of the reality of their cap situation, unless Big Baller Bean does something that none of us are expecting, which he's done before, yep. it feels like free agency this year is bringing back Tremaine Edmonds. And that I think the Bills would consider a good free agency. Um, maybe bring in like a Scotty Miller, somebody like that, one of these, one of these veteran wide receiver options with a little bit of speed that – they can potentially challenge on the outside with Gabe Davis, but it sounds like they need to make their hand the draft this year in a year where a trade down could be very possible because if you've got to replenish through the draft more than you're used to depending on six picks is not going to get it done for where right. some of the, where, where the bills need some depth and some youth. So 27 this year could also be a trade back, which would be interesting to see Bean do and what that would look like for him. Yeah, and I, I think that's entirely possible. Um, just again, just looking at the draft class, you, you're you're missing on premium talent once you get to the late twenties and in one. And at that point, it's yeah. like, okay, now we're talking about the two threes and fours, those mid tier guys. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Jamison Crowder is 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 a free agent as well, um, and just turning thirty. They really liked him early in the season before he broke his ankle. So that's yeah. something he could, he, he, they could just re-sign him instead of... Beasley was an emergency replacement for Jameson Crowder. That's what that Basically. was. Basically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, Crow, yeah, Crowder could factor in. I mean, they could patch it together with a guy like Crowder, Scotty Miller, Beasley, some combination. You just really want Scotty Miller on this team. You're looking for our Julian Edmonds slash... I, yeah. I, I, I'm, looking for, I'm just looking for speed, man. Yeah. I mean... Like, don't we look better when Khalil Shakir and James Cook have the ball in their hand? I just want more fast guys. I just want fast guys that Allen can't outthrow and that can catch a freaking ball, you know? Um, And and Davis is not fast, nor is he a good catcher of the football, which I feel like are two prerequisites for being a wide receiver in this league. So, yeah. But I I can see them patching together in that way. Um, Shoot, even bringing in like a... It, just for a, a training camp try for like a guy like T.Y. Hilton or something like that. I could see them going that route. Sterling Shepard, uh, who will likely be a Giants cast off. Um, I could see them going that route to patch it together and then hoping they hit in the draft. What I don't want them to do is what they've done with Emmanuel Sanders and what they were pro- looked like they were set to do with Jamison Crowder, which was get enamored with some of these guys that they've long sought to get onto the team, either via trade or free agency, and then they finally get them, and they give them an oversized role, 
maybe one year past where that player is ready to assume that yeah. role. <laughs> like, I don't want to bring Crowder back yeah. at the expense of Shakir's development. Um, like, if you bring Crowder back, it's Shakir. it should be clear that it's Shakir's job to lose in the slot, unless, again, you upgrade with a Renfro or somebody like that. Um, but, yeah, I... Dare I they, say, uh, yeah, they just they four they... wide double slots. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Who the hell cares? Try yeah. anything at this point right. to get it going, and you know what I mean. So, and Mackenzie's still on the roster too. I think we forget that, but Mackenzie is still on this yeah. roster next year. And Mackenzie, I think it's so funny because we talked about it in the off season, and I think he even had this take then too. Um, people were like, "Oh, Isaiah Mackenzie, Isaiah Mackenzie had a hundred yard game against." The, the Patriots, oh, Isaiah McKenzie's probably gone this year because he showed out. I knew all along Isaiah McKenzie was coming back for like a barely vet minimum deal because Isaiah McKenzie has told us what he is. He's an inconsistent role player who does not get, get open against any physicality. And that's that. Like he's fast and speedy and, and quick twitch, but he is never going to have a premier role in an offense. And so he's never going to get a premier contract. And so he could be back. But I don't, I'm not excited about that. I don't want to see more of that. I think we saw Isaiah McKenzie, what, for like four, he got attention on four snaps against the Bengals. Yeah. And only one of them went for positive yardage. Like, it's it's not, it's not the type of game that this offense needs. And so, I mean, it's me that I'm always more, most excited about the draft. I... I only have one thing in this, in terms of this offseason that I'm hoping for. Um, draft-wise, and that is, please, for the love of God, do not use a top four-round pick on a running back. Like, just don't. Yeah. I don't care if Singletary walks. You feed the ball to Cook, let Naeem Hines spell him when you need to. They're both on contract, and just roll with it. Sign an undrafted or a vet minimum player to be the third third back that you need. You need somebody just in case they get dinged up, right? But don't don't do another two or three on a freaking running back. No, I, I mean, and it's such un- a waste of resources. It, it really is, and they keep they keep banging their head against that wall. And I think had they let Cook develop over the course of the season, they would have been pleasantly surprised with where he ended up. His speed, his pass catching ability. Like again, I I kept hearing, well, Cook wasn't getting time because he's not great in pass pro. Neither was Pachenko yesterday, but they kept his ass in the game because he's their number one threat out of the backfield, yep. running and catching the ball. And and like you can't teach speed, and it's tough to guard speed. So I, I love the idea of a 1-2 next year that's just pure speed with Hines and Cook. Add that with the speed of Shakir. Maybe get a guy like Zay Flowers in the draft. Scotty Miller, I'm going to throw it in there again. All of a sudden... With not a lot of free agent money and wise expenditure of draft capital, you've gone from I think like a like a like a, a questionable team speed standpoint to you've gone to pretty quick and pretty twitchy and pretty tough to defend. And you get some of those guys in space with some of the route concepts that Dorsey was running. It, if if you can protect Allen and Allen can trust that offensive line, Yak is in the equation again, and that's something the Bills have failed to address in their offensive scheming and personnel build-out. They've got to get yards after catch. They're always going to see cover too high. They're always going to see the the two-man deep safety shell until they can prove they can run the ball. So, like, why not work on the yak game? And 
that kind of roster build out, that kind of speed roster build out, I think is possible with this. But yeah, I if they draft a run, running back here, even if Singletary walks, I'll be I'll be disgusted. I'll just be disgusted. I, I have concerns about the the passes and extension of the run, like what you're talking about, quick distributive underneath routes with a lot of yak. Um, the the concern I have is that Josh Allen is still the quarterback. Unless they get him protection, he won't do progressions. He will look to his first read, then he'll look to his deepest read, and he'll just try to get the ball out. It will, agreed, yeah, but that's yeah. the thing they got to fix. And I yes. think like you and I have been, I think, more patient with Dorsey than a lot of Bills fans have been. But the one thing I will knock Dorsey a little bit with is that because they couldn't figure out the slot, because they didn't really trust McKenzie, Crowder, it seemed like, was their plan. And then Shakir, they just didn't want to put in too big of a role. Because they the safety valve was no longer the slot, absent Beasley, Dorsey made the running back the safety valve for Allen. Yep. And I, Singletary is not that guy. No. And you didn't let Cook develop into that guy. Right. But if you have, like, you're going to love this, going back to the Chan Gailey days, but if you've got real running back screens, if yeah. you've got running backs that are are actually factored in as part of the passing attack, like Hines and like Cook, as opposed to just being safety blankets, then I think you add a, a dynamic layer to this offense that was missing this year. I'll tell you something that'll make you happy, Dan. I have been reviewing the wide receivers in this draft class. There are a lot of five foot nine to to six <laughs> foot running back body build type wide receivers that their draft profile basically says can only play in the slot at the NFL I, level, right? Like I there's know. there's like eight to twelve of them that are probably a decent pick who have blazing speed between round two and five. So yes. I think. We have a chance. We have a we chance did. of getting that guy. The only real question is, will the Bills ever trust a rookie enough to make them? Because uh, that's the thing. Yeah. Is since since McDermott's gotten there, the only players that they've ever trusted as rookies straight from the jump were Deion Dawkins, Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, and Tredavious White. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's it. it. That's yeah. it. End of list. Greg Rousseau, I guess, to some extent, but he's... It, the way the defensive line is played, he got as many snaps as you can presume a person a in a position could get. Yep. But it, yeah, but those are the only players that walked in the door and were rock solid stone locks at their position to start every game. I agree. This this off season is yes, it's about the personnel build out, but it really is about some soul searching for this coaching staff because again, they are at the point where. I'm sure Allen will restructure his deal to some extent. But right now, his cap figure goes from 18 to 39. You are in Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers territory with the cap limitations you're going to have. You've, you've just got to have a philosophical shift and realize that because of your cap limitations, because congratulations, you hit on the QB, which is what everyone dreams of. But now... You've got to reverse the build and surround him with some young talent that you're going to have to let learn on the job. This offseason is as much about the roster build as it is about this coaching staff changing its philosophical approach to player development. I think that's the taller order. I think the Bills are going to draft well because they have drafted well. I think Bean is going to do some nice things in free agency, and they're going to come back with a very deep roster. To me, it is, going back to last spot in the analogy, once the ingredients are there, Will they be able to shift their philosophy enough 
to prepare the proper meal and let some of these younger, fresher ingredients have their day, even though they might not feel perfect in the dish just yet. I love I love that you're calling back to our, you know, Brandon Bean bought the groceries and Sean McDermott made crap for food. I, like I, I haven't eaten such it's so good. You haven't eaten. Uh, I, I haven't eaten I haven't eaten yet. So right. I right. I'm thinking about food. <laughs> That's well, just where it is. Um before you get hangry about it, do you do you want to, you know, any final thoughts on this first very initial build of the of the, you know, off-season pod. We're about to talk to um, my buddy Jared about the Jets as a, as a way to uh, to wrap up the pod. And so, fun convo. It was a fun yeah. convo with him, yeah. 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 And so, you know, people will be hearing that, but uh, but any, any final thoughts on where the Bills are? No, I would say for everyone listening, um, you know, stick around, listen to the interview with Jared. He actually draws a really nice juxtaposition and gives us a little bit bit of perspective on where the jets are versus where the bills are and he's like it's okay guys <laughs> you're really not that bad yeah. but um you know i my final thought is as we like you and i we love man gm we love messing with the cap we love figuring out free agents we love figuring out the draft it, this off season to me and this is going to sound so weird to say it is less about the personnel they bring in and more about how the coaching plans to use that personnel. This to me is a, and we're not going to see that. That's not the stuff that they cover on ESPN. That's not the stuff that the athletic writes about. Like that's, we're not going to hear that McDermott and Frazier are in these deep philosophical like conversations about how they approach player development anymore. That's the stuff that we're not going to see until training camp in August in the preseason and the regular season in September. So I don't want to say this offseason is going to be boring for the Bills, but unless Bean does something incredible with restructures and or trades up to the number one pick in the draft, this is an offseason that's more about that coaching staff doing some soul searching about how they're going to use some of these inevitably young pieces they're going to draft this year and how they can start to factor them in more effectively in the game plan. It's a f- complete philosophical shift that Kansas City didn't miss a beat on now if buffalo wants to go from that 90 percent good to that 100 percent great they need to similarly not miss a beat if they want to keep pace yep absolutely i think that's a great way to summarize it and uh as mentioned you know we did our our jets post-mortem and uh and the bills kind of post-season analysis is going to continue um and so you know that that's where we're at yeah so we'll we'll return next week for i think our that'll end up being our final pod right that'll be our final is that's our final pod until free agency i think right yeah so yep. uh, next next week we'll be following up with uh with our special guest steve to talk about his you know longtime dolphins fandom and the and the dolphins in their first year with mcdaniels mcdaniel mcdaniel no mcdaniel S. Freaking Josh McDaniels and Mike McDaniel <laughs> I know. have messed this up for everybody, but it's McDaniel. Yeah. McDaniel. Yep. Yes. So um, we'll, they'll talk about the end of their first season with, with McDaniel, and uh, we'll hit some some Super Bowl predictions, and then we're going to go on a, a brief hiatus before we come back in, in February or in March to talk about free agency. Awesome. Awesome. So for those of you listening at home, stick around for Jared's interview on the Jets and also like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple and Spotify. And as always, go Bills.
right, a very special situation on Buffalo Bread. We have a guest, a friend of mine from grad school, Jared, who is going to be our Jets insider. Um, we're continuing the post-mortem series around the AFC East now that all four teams have been eliminated from postseason play. Jared, how are you doing? Welcome to the pod. Perfect segue, because I'm, I'm ready to bring the post-mortem depression to this here uh to this here uh discussion um i'm doing i'm doing good it's been it's been a fun nfl playoffs definitely void of some of the usual suspects which is interesting but uh yeah yeah it could be worse as a jets fan it could be worse expand on that how do you, how could it be worse <laughs> um i know I'm, I'm actually curious to hear that myself yeah. too well would it would it be fair to say that this team exceeded my expectations this year I did not think they were going to make the playoffs. They were almost the same record-wise as the Giants, which I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a team that continues to just not find the solution at quarterback, to hover around 500 for most of the season without, you know, the most significant piece of an offense is really, and that's not the worst. Um, I, there is one decision uh, that Robert Sala made that I will probably pontificate on later. Um, okay. that's, I, we'll, we'll call that like a transition for later or something, but, uh, sure. I just, aside from a couple small things, they were as expected or better than I thought they would okay. be. Did, sure. did they still find a way to destroy me all the way down to a game winning? You can't even beat the dolphins field goal. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But that's Jets football. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, as long, long suffering bills fans, <laughs> Barring just the recent few years, Dan and I can can say, you know, there, there were those Bills teams where we're like, wow, they don't have a quarterback. They have a plucky defense. They're able to give give the fight to some teams you never expected them to stand in the same, same stadium with. That's a pretty good year. Chalk that up. You know, JJ, that's actually a really good example because the Bills are the only team I could think of in the last two decades, really, of football that completely transformed their style of play on both sides of the ball and actually saw sustained success. The The biggest beef I have with the Jets is that they refuse to do the things that have historically made the Jets successful. Um, and I really thought, you know, Brees Hall's injury changes the entire season. But I really thought that the Jets were returning to that, hey, who cares if Wilson's not the solution long-term because we only need him to throw a slant route like 11 times and we can run the ball 35 times a game. We have great linebackers. We have a great defensive scheme. We can just keep the ball inside the hash marks and just work clock and be the old school jets. It's the jets refusal to embrace their own identity that continues to bother me. And in that regard, they actually do perplex me more than any other team in the sport. All right. Um, as we, you know, we, we're jumping right into it and getting right into the meat of it. Um, but as we often do with our guests, how did you become a Jets fan? What's your history with the Jets? Listen, uh, the, the abridged version would be I'm, I'm Jewish and from Long Island, New York, and I'm not sure what other choices there are. But um, I, I remember everyone liked the Giants. Everyone liked the Giants. And the Giants were not very good in the early 90s, and the Jets had the New York Sack Exchange, and that was like something that you could kind of get behind. But the real turning point for me was 
the Jets sort of kind of became the NFL's island of misfit toys. Like Vinny Testaverde bringing them to, you know, repeated AFC championship games. There's the Curtis Martin free agency signing and like, you know, these kind of island of outcasts from other teams. And then Wayne Corbett, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm bigger and more athletic than Wayne Corbett. And he's like an all-time franchise receiver. They just started having all these fun pieces and they were just extremely fun to follow in the 90s. And then, you know, that sets you up for, you know, the 2000s of pain. Just a lot of, a lot of pain. In fact, oh, yeah. it's kind of funny. Because when I got to know you, JJ, those were literally the only two years the Jets have been good in the last 20 years of NFL yeah. football, were the two yeah. years that you and I were at UB. We, yeah, we were at UB together while yeah. the Jets were good and the Bills were su- long-suffering <laughs> continued. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Um, but yeah, so um, Dan, I know you have you have prompts. You have some stuff you want to dig into with roster management and organizational stuff. I do. Hit it. I, I do. I have prompts for you, Jared. I'm so... And I'm so curious about the Jets because I don't know if you listen to me and JJ, but we're like we root for a good AFC East. You know yes. what I mean? Like we, we've lamented over the past few years about how it was the Patriots and no one else was really good except for the Jets for those couple of years. And now it's the Bills and like we're looking forward to maybe an ascendant division. Mm-hmm. And you guys are a big part of that. And to me, it, I, I think I heard you mention this before, like on offense, you've got like this one piece that you're missing. Mm-hmm. And the, the first question I have for you really i think is going to be what differentiates you guys and your ability to be successful over a team like the colts who seemingly had a lot of pieces in place on the o-line and on this in the skill positions and on the offense but didn't get qb right so my first question for you is on the qb front so you guys are going to have zach wilson on the roster next year Mm -hmm. mike white is a pending unrestricted free agent and there are rumors abound that aaron Rodgers cometh your way um, thanks to the signing of his favorite OC, Nathaniel Hackett. Um, so my question for you is really around the Rodgers piece, pending whatever might happen with White. If you guys end up going the Indianapolis Colts veteran QB route, and you somehow trade for Rodgers, what do you think the ceiling on this New York Jets team is? So 14 years and a full head of hair ago, the Jets signed a quarterback from Green Bay. and. I remember immediately after the signing being like, this will get them one game, absolute max. And I watched Brett Favre just be that old gunslinger and make a series of poor decisions and intercept his way to another Jets missing the postseason year. Um, It's hard for the cynic in me to not think that exact thing would happen with Aaron Rodgers. And here's my big thing. Um, I realized that you know, specifically in the last two years in Green Bay, it seems like Rodgers has always been beefing with the offensive schemes. It has They haven't had that quote-unquote Randall Cobb-esque featured, like, backfield receiving threat. And they also haven't really had as much deep passing, like spread passing, that they would like. Here is my biggest concern. I do not think the Jets are currently designed to be a spread offense team. So, like, if you bring in Aaron Rodgers... You have to do a lot of other things with pieces. My biggest concern is the Jets have so many great young pieces. If there is a way that you could assure me as a Jets fan that we are not leveraging any of the young defensive cornerstones and that 
you know, the two young receivers, but most specifically Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall are safe and able to be signed to major contracts and that Aaron Rodgers won't interfere with that, then, I, then I'm on board. But I don't think my expectations it increase tremendously because I don't really know exactly what kind of a fit he is. If, if Hackett thinks that Brees Hall is going to be, you know, A, return healthy, and B, be a three-down back and kind of give you that, you know, almost Kansas City Chiefs running back treatment where he's a threat to run or catch on literally every possession of the game, that might change some things. But I, I always want to turn the question back to you guys. Do you guys think at this stage of Aaron Rodgers' career that he's going to make the Jets four or five games better? No, I don't. And no. and, and you brought up the reason why, right? Rodgers still thinks he can spread it out and throw it deep, right. which watching his deep ball accuracy this season, uh, high pointing is the thing that everyone is trying to do. And Rodgers just can't high point a 50-50 ball anymore, right? He's going to throw it and it's going to be on somewhat of a line and it's not going to have the the depth of attempt that it would earlier in his career. But the problem is, is he still thinks he can do it. And I think that it was the frustration you rightfully picked up on with his time in Green Bay. That coaching staff knew for sure he couldn't do it anymore. They wanted him to kind of manage and be a point guard and distribute the ball across the field. And he just got frustrated because he didn't have a lot of chemistry with a lot of these weapons. It should be like no surprise that Rodgers started talking more positively when Christian Watson started bailing some of Rodgers' throw out with some amazing catches and runs after the catch because it made Rodgers feel like the deep threat QB that he still thinks that he is. But no. And, you know, it's always the player who is the last to admit that that part of their game is past them. And I think Rodgers is the epitome of that. So I think if he comes to the Jets and we he tries to do whatever Hackett is going to do within that scheme, I don't think he's got the physical tools to elevate a squad like you all. And he needs a fairly good offensive line. And that's a that's an area where, like us, you guys have some holes too. Because he's not running around. He doesn't have the mobility anymore either to buy time outside of the pocket. So, no, I think he's a terrible fit for you guys personally. So I know, okay, I know I mentioned uh, Coach Sala's big mistake, and I think now would be a good time to uh, to mention it because I, this, this really kind of ties everything together. My favorite element of the Jets team this season was offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur. And I... I have, I, I, you know, it's, it's a podcast, so I need the listening audience to just trust me. But I was scrolling through my text message threads from this season, and all of my Jets fan buddies from college are all on that train with me. We're watching the Jets beat, like, beat teams early in the season, and then I think their crescendo was game one against the Bills, where the play calling was sensational. And knowing that he did not have a good quarterback, he took the ball out of Wilson's hands basically and said, if you complete four to five, eight yard passes in the entirety of this game, we will win. And I look at the creativity of that offense and it reminds me a lot of the last time the Jets tried to do a really hard pivot, which was the era of Rex Ryan and Brian Schottenheimer. And what happened in that exchange was Rex let Schottenheimer go. Schottenheimer is still one of the best offensive coordinators in football. The Jets haven't been the same since. I I really think they pulled the plug 
on LaFleur too early. And I'm really, really concerned about Hackett as a fit. So now factor that in to what we seem to agree on with Aaron Rodgers. And we have a team that doesn't seem built for someone to pass 30 times a game. And Aaron Rodgers didn't want to come in and do that. Robert Salas seems like such a culture-oriented coach that it, the decision just perplexes me. I am low-key, actually, since I'm talking about it, I guess I'm high-key, pulling for um, no Aaron Rodgers and just giving Mike White a go. It is a low-risk, in my opinion, move to give Mike White a year, tell him we have zero expectations for you throwing the ball more than 20 times in a game, and we'll play Jets football. And I can I can see more favorable results, honestly, than a Rodgers signing. Well, and, and I think the Jets also have a fair amount of cap space. They have some opportunities, you know, with draft and cap to build a, try to build around Mike White and see what he can give you. I can tell you one thing, that dude is a warrior. I've never seen somebody get beat up so badly as the second Bills game and then just fire through and keep going. Like, I, I couldn't believe they were still rolling him out there in the second half. It was rough. So, JJ, and JJ, you play. You played this sport yeah. at a very high competitive level. I coach a sport for my job. And one of the, like, the tell-all rules of sports is once you find an athlete that wins over the locker room, you tend to want to put that athlete in a leadership position. The, oh, yeah. The Jets as a team could not make it, they couldn't have made it any more clear that they love Mike White. I don't understand the the hesitation, you know, at this point. Yeah. It, and that's the thing too, is you're right. I mean, winning the locker room is one and I just, you know, for Zach Wilson to be bumped from starting to third, like it's usually not that it's usually, Hey, we're going to go in a different direction and we need you to hold the clipboard. Yeah. They just put, they put him right to inactive. And that was, that tells me what I need to know about his leadership if that if they were didn't even mind he wasn't going to be in a, a major role on the sidelines during the game so uh, yeah i think that you're right it's there's a clear favorite in the clubhouse and it's i think it's worth it to the jets to not put all their resources and energy and, and hoopla into an aaron Rodgers move to probably set the franchise back a year or two on what could be a building of a really special roster which started last year in the draft i think that you know, for our kind of next question, um, if you want to hit him with it, Dan, it's it's about where where do we go from here if it's not you know if the, they hopefully don't follow your um, your logic and uh, and pick up <laughs> Rogers, Dan. Sure. Yeah. So that, that's actually a great segue. So, um, it, Jared, just to give you some some perspective and some numbers to work with here. So, as JJ mentioned, the New York Jets over the next two years have a fair amount of cap flexibility this upcoming year right now as things stand before restructures they're only about two million over the cap which for them is a couple easy restructures and a couple of easy cuts to get under in 2024 they're projected to have um over 101 million dollars to spend um until they hit the salary roof and that's before the roof likely it's extended up to as much as 240 which is what a lot of people are projecting so and you are it seems like you guys have the benefit in that you're not about to lock yourself into a long-term young qb right. second contract right so all that being said if it's not qb what is the position or position group that the jets need to address most with our next two free agency or draft cl draft classes, in your opinion, I I would still like to see a little bit more padding in the skill positions, and I I 
also would love to see one more rusher. And I pass rusher, I should say, like a defensive threat. Um, I think when the Jets are at their best, they really bring pressure from outside the tackles. And I, I just want to see an end that reminds me of, you know, late 2000s to early 2011, basically those Jets teams. And something to be mindful of, um, when the Jets are at their best, there's usually three to four wins a season where the offense doesn't break the teens. They just, they literally are on the field to work clock and give a, give the defense a break. So my other segue, you know, we talk about defensive line piece. Um, the most glaring piece to me is tight end. Um, I, I think anytime you're going to work, and I, I'm going to put the new, the term new in air quotes, because whether it's Rogers or Mike white or anyone, we're all seem to be in agreement that it's not Wilson. And somebody is going to be taking camp snaps at the first position of the depth chart for the first time. And I think any time that you can cushion a quarterback with a good tight end, um, that would be a, a, maybe the most critical area of need for me. Um, I really love the Jets young rushers and receivers. Like I actually think that has been probably Salah's biggest strength. I think that him and his regime have drafted sensationally on both sides of the ball. I just think there's more work to do because they, they were starting <laughs> from ground zero. Um, I would not, would not, would not, would not draft um, any more DBs, and I would not draft another quarterback unless they think that there is a steal on the board. But, you know, I just think if we can supplement anything checked down, anything safe for a new quarterback, that's that would be my big preference. So I, I got a – oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'll just I, go. I got, well, before we kind of jump yeah. to, the, to the next – thought um i'm gonna hit you with some names this yeah. is like a you know and you let me know if you're if you're up or down on the next four names these are the tight ends that are on free agency right now yeah uh mike gasicki from miami a tepid a tepid in the middle thumb. tepid okay in the middle thumb um dalton schultz from dallas slightly higher thumb because i know what he's okay. capable of when dak is healthy yeah uh evan ingram from jacksonville who came on a little bit he yes. had a monster second half of the season, and he would probably be my top choice, but I'm, I'm going to hold out for okay. number four. All right, and then for Austin Hooper, Tennessee. I, of those, I would go with Ingram. And Ingram okay. also has some experience playing in New York. He came to the, to the Jags after playing for the Giants, if I have that correct. And, you have that uh, right, yep. I mean, to me, again, if I'm just thinking about new recipes and things like that, Lawrence's first year with a new offensive coordinator, totally new system. And you get about halfway through the year, and his tight end becomes his most reliable target. I could 100% see that. Cool. Yeah, he'd know the New York market, so he wouldn't be shocked by it. Yeah. All right, sorry, sorry. Didn't mean to step on you there, Dan. Oh, no, I was going to ask a similar question about tight end, right? Because it's a, a group you focused on, and I agree needs to be improved. I think one of the challenges you guys face is that you've got CJ Uzoma and uh, Tyler Conklin both locked up till 2025. Combine their guaranteed twenty five mil, right? I know so, so much money in these positions. Yes, so that, that but you brought up a really good point. The Jets have drafted really well the past couple of years, but they've had some hit or miss on the free agency end of things. So, if you were to let's say you were to take the cap savings, I think right now Conklin has a 
only has a dead cap hit of about six mil mm-hmm. and could bring you potentially seven mil in savings, right? Um, uh, Uzoma has a much higher dead cap hit, I think, of eight million, but could bring potentially nine million in savings. Yeah. Which one of those guys would you want to get rid of in order to bring in potentially a new drafted tight end? Maybe that kid from Notre Dame, Myers, everybody's talking about, or uh, yeah, if I'm sticking, or would you want to bring in a free agency? If, if I'm sticking you know, by the rule of what have you done for me lately, then I want to keep Conklin, um, who would just, Mm -hmm. he just produced more. Um, But I also, you know, the money on the back end is pretty negligible between the two. So my biggest thing would be if I'm, if I'm going to go the route of drafting, who is going to model the way better. And in that regard, I would go with Conklin. Yeah, I would totally agree with that for sure. Uh, Off script off script question on QB. Yeah. You guys, I think, are picking number 13 this year in the draft. Yeah. If Kentucky's Will Levis, who seems to be the most controversial QB QB prospect in the pool, a lot of comparisons to one Josh Allen, and that he's got a live arm, massive physical traits, yeah. doesn't know how to play the QB position. Yeah. It, if Will Levis is there at 13, you want your boys to go in that direction and try to grow their own Josh Allen from the ground up. Can, can Hackett do it? So, Is Hackett your Brian Dable? <laughs> I don't. So this is, it, it's funny because this is, this is the up and down that I have with Robert Sala in, in general. If you go back and hear the things he had to say about Zach Wilson, you would think he was talking about Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, this is this is a weird thing to me. Um, and I feel like this trend has started in the last generation of, of the NFL. It didn't used to be that a new coaching regime automatically meant you're drafting a new quarterback. Even Jordan Love in Green Bay. Like, it just seems like a stamp that coaches want to put on a franchise. Um I am so vehemently opposed to the Jets drafting quarterback in this year's draft that I, and for, for many reasons, but the biggest one being you've proven already that you can, you can win games with a moderately serviceable quarterback. Do not reinvent the wheel, especially in a conference that we know is going to be competitive in a division. I should say that's going to be competitive. Why, why take the risk? Go get, a position that's way that tends to be way more of a lock. Like very infrequently does a freak defensive end not end up being a freak defensive end in the first round. So like I would I would so much rather the Jets play it safe and you just lick your wounds from previous drafts at the QB position. Well and we just we just saw uh the 49ers make it to a championship game with their fourth quarterback, fourth string quarterback. You can build a winning team in other ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And you've mentioned Salah a couple times, Jared, and that's a perfect segue to my final question. So Salah, Salah has had a good season with New York and a not great season with New York. Um, defense mightily improved this year with some free agency and great draft picks, mm-hmm. Sauce Gardner in particular. That being said, though, the New York media and, and some of the Jets fan base seems to be wavering a little bit on Salah. Yeah for some of his in-game decision-making. You've noted it a couple of times with Salah as well, some uncertainty. So let me ask you this. Given the young core that the Jets have 
if you are to figure out the QB position over the offseason and expectations rise, if Salah fails to make the playoffs in 2023 with a revamped unit, is it time to move on from him? So I wanted to say no so badly. And I was, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it is just truly how I feel. My, my answer to this question would be different if Mike LaFleur was still working with Robert Sala. Because he, here, here is my thing. Robert Sala has, I don't want to say shed accountability because, you know, the only people that really know what's going on are the people, you know, behind the closed doors. But the way it certainly looks to me as, as a longtime fan of the franchise is the Jets couldn't find a way to win after Brees Hall got hurt. They could not find a way to produce on offense. They got a crazy boost midseason with Mike White, but then Mike White got hurt and then it was, you know, downhill. And in a typical New York anything response, this happens with every New York franchise across the board, they needed a scapegoat and, you know, they chose the lowest hanging fruit who among a lot of New York diehards opinions was actually like the most important piece of the puzzle. So this now turns into a Robert Sala, you have made your bed and now you must sleep in it. If, if the Jets do not take a step forward, it is exclusively because Nathaniel Hackett did not get it done. Um, you can say a lot of things about the in-game management. I didn't really think it was particularly bad this year. I actually really liked the play calling. I thought they did a lot of creative stuff. My biggest beef through the whole season was stubbornness. And I'm starting to notice that that's kind of a streak of his. He's a defensive-minded coach. That's not a new thing for, you know, for Jets fans. But the thing that I notice a lot is like, you know, the Jets do bad. And he says to the media, well, I'm going to take an inventory of, you know, who's doubting us right now. Or, you know, Zach Wilson, like he can't be honest about Zach Wilson. He wants to try to protect that investment. Like, I just think there's enough in place now where he's had enough leadership gaffes, not even play decision-making gaffes, but like actual major significant decision gaffes where if the Jets don't succeed, I think that, you know, the ownership of the Jets are within their right to say, we need new leadership. It would be a bummer, though, because I do think if the Jets are not successful this upcoming season, whoever they get in next, I think will be tremendously successful with his pieces, a la Rex Ryan to Eric Mangini. That's a good awesome. Yeah, that's that's a great take. And I think that it's so funny as you're talking, I'm just thinking about Sean McDermott because I, nobody can argue that he's like been wildly successful. The Bills plus ten, plus 10 win teams, playoffs every year. Um, but stubbornness is like his Achilles heel. And is it, it? it's a defensive coach thing, I think, because I see the same thing in Belichick. Um, we saw the same thing with Flores in Miami. Defensive head coaches tend to not be willing to rock the, the boat to like make aggressive changes to scheme or plan or player. They tend to like stick to the, as Dan likes to say on the pod, stick to their comfort food. Yes. And whether that's pumping up Zach Wilson or whether that's, um, you know, just three, three yards in a cloud of dust and defensive winning and not really trying, you know, not sending aggressive or, you know, complicated blitzes and things like that. We see it all the time with defensive head coaching coach teams. JJ, you just said something that really kind of got my gear spinning and I think kind of encapsulates everything we've talked about with the Jets. And here would be my thing. If the comfort food was delicious, I would eat it for every meal. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. 
And the Jets, to me, I think were so close to having the recipe down. And then just, I, I don't know if they just got envious of other teams that like to pass more or like to do more. They just, they just overdid it. And, I, I, you know, maybe part of this was, like, maybe there was a point where they had enough injuries to key players where they were like, the probability of us making the playoffs is low. So let's really audition what we have. Wins don't matter. I will never know sure. if that was actually the conversation. Yeah. But where where I stand right now is if the Jets literally just came out next season and just did smash mouth old school football and saw the same results as they did this year, I would actually I would tolerate that better than yeah. I tolerated this season where they tried a million different things that they shouldn't have tried. Sure. That's yeah, spoken like a true fan, super critical of your favorite thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and honestly, you guys are, if Brees Hall stays healthy, oh it's gosh. probably a different yeah. outcome for you yeah. guys at the end of the season, yeah. I would think. Well, I, I mean, is that, isn't that the silver lining? I mean, the Jets, if, if the Jets win one more game, they're basically yeah. the Giants. And, you know, the diff- yeah. literally, the difference between Robert Sala being in the exact position he is and Brian Dable being in the exact position that he is is one regular season win. Yep. So, you know, I do want to keep that perspective. But, yeah, they keep breaking my heart, and that's Jets football. You guys are so on the cusp, though. Yeah. Every year, there are four teams, on average, that make the playoffs from one season, miss it the following season. I think you guys are going to be one of the four that, that get in for the AFC this year. I really do. I think there's you and Pittsburgh. I've got is ascenders this year. Again, if you get a healthy Brees Hall back, and if Mike White is your floor as far as your free agent QB goes, you guys get draft well on the high end on that offensive line to go with guys like Elijah Vera Tucker. And are you guys going to resign Connor McGovern your center, do you think, too? I hope so. I mean, again, Yeah, I mean, he's a great piece. Starts yeah. with a solid offensive line. So Yeah. So if you got Elijah Vera Tucker, McGovern, and you draft like one more high-end tackle, it's a pretty solid offensive line to go between a quick-release QB and a dynamic receiving core and a dynamic and hopefully healthy running back. I think your guys' offense looks a lot different as long as coaching doesn't mess it up next year. No, I've, I've got you guys in next year right now, so I think you're on, on that path. Putting that magnet on the fridge right now. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I will tell you, if Mike White doesn't work out for y'all, I want to sell you a lightly used $1.3 million Nathan Peterman, who is coming onto the free agent market. <laughs> he will only throw for seven your consideration. <laughs> in one of the games. The Buffalo. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Oh, he's, he's bad. <laughs> so. Again, I, I realize it's so easy to be a jaded Jets fan because everything in New York City is just negative, negative, negative. They they it, it, they exceeded a lot of expectations this year. They narrowly yeah. missed the playoffs. And frankly, if if I'm looking at the problems the Jets have versus the problems the Patriots have, I'm actually – I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm actually cool with Jets' problems right now. Yeah, We say it all the yeah. time. The Patriots should be in a rebuild. Yeah. Brandon, if you're listening, your team should be rebuilding. Yes. <laughs> he was the he was the first AFC East guest yeah. we brought on, a nice guy named Brandon Bennett. Uh, friend of the pod, not friend of the Bulls. Enemy of the Jets. I, <laughs> yes. Yes. I just, yeah. they, they should be in a rebuild with where they're Bully. at right now, and they just Bully. refuse Tear to. It down. Refuse to. Yeah. Seriously. Well, and if, if any team, you know, um, 
any team that comes out of a draft class with Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, um, Sauce Gardner, you know, you had, and who's the, the end that they got out of the, out of Florida state, yeah. Jermaine, Jermaine Johnson. Uh, yeah. 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 If you get those four pieces in a draft class, like you've built the core of your team. Like there's, they just all look like such, I mean, Jermaine has some, some strides to make, but Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, and Sauce Gardner are like, I see those guys play, and I'm just like, wow. Like, in one draft class, you hit three superstars. You, And, I mean, super, yes. I mean, you're not, you're not going to hit a grand slam every year. But if you can actually look at your draft class and say, 20% of our team's starters came yes. through this year's draft, you're doing something correct. Exactly, yeah. And that's... Building through the draft is the only way in the modern NFL to actually have year over year success, and I think that they're on they're on the right track with it. So the front office seems to be knowing what they're doing, yeah. even if we have questions about Salah and the early Michael Floor exit. We we as Bills fans going into that Lafleur game, the first one against the Jets that the Bills lost, um, we talked Dan and I talked about it at the pot. I was like, Michael Floor is just going to call his brother in Green Bay. Who's going to be like, oh yeah, just do this on defense and then run, you know, run the ball on offense um, between this gap and that gap, and you'll you'll crush the Bills. And sure enough, the Jets came in and they controlled the game. They they ran it well. They had short distributive passing that took advantage of the soft zone. Boom, bam. Zach Wilson played the literal game of his life with no major errors, and they came out with a win. Like that's that is it. And they hurt Josh Allen, which made it. You know, we had a real rough slump as Bills fans yeah. because they. You got hurt in the pocket on the last second to last throw. With each passing year, JJ, I feel like people try to make this sport more complicated than it is. Like, and I, yeah, and yeah. I, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like I don't like passing. I mean, my favorite quarterback ever was Peyton Manning, and watching the Colts play was just amazing every week. But I, I just think that it's really easy to outfox yourself in modern football. And the Jets had a number of games this season where I was like, my God, they keep it simple, and it's so awesome to watch. And hopefully they can just yeah. do on that. Absolutely. Well, I can't uh, thank you enough for this opportunity. Is there anything that you want to leave leave Bills fans with before we, we head out? Uh, it's okay. It's okay, Bills Mafia. You have a, <laughs> this, is, this is the one thing I would say. You know, it, it's coincidental now that the Chiefs are playing the Eagles in the Super Bowl because the Eagles went to, you know, what feels like 19 straight Super Bowls at, but didn't win them. And they even more like NFC Championship games under Andy Reid. And they couldn't yep. wait to get rid of them. They got one Super Bowl with Reid's pieces, and they haven't been the same since. I'm interested in seeing what that looks like because, you know, don't – it could very easily fall apart. That's all I'll say. Is it a bummer that the Bills didn't make it to at least a conference championship game? Absolutely. But things could be going a lot worse for for yeah. your franchise. Take it well, from that me, Eagles, Jets that, fan. That, yes. <laughs> that's amazing. That that is that, that is, is that is where we end. That is that is where we end. Take it from me. Comma, Jets fan. <laughs> no, thanks for having me, Love guys. It. It, was, it was a blast. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. We appreciate it. All right. Take care. Have a great night, fellas. Yeah, you too. You too.